Every week, we do a Q&A with interesting and accomplished members of the adaptive community to find how they persevered, how they innovated, how they built communities, and how they found solutions. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. Today, we have a little bit of a treat for you. We've talked to a bunch of Paralympians. This guy is a Paralympian, Nick right, three-time Paralympian in alpine skiing, but he is also a judge. We have never had a judge. He's a judge in Grand County in Colorado. Nick, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for the invitation. My first podcast. Your first podcast. I'm hoping that it will be a comfortable and enjoyable experience. Uh, but uh, but let's. I, I want to get to the judge thing eventually. But let's take a little bit of a step back because you got you and I were on the ski team together. And how did how did coming back to skiing? Because you were a ski racer before your accident, had a skiing accident like me, and then and then you came back to skiing. How did you how did you take to that as a mono skier? I I did not like it. Um, I did not enjoy sit skiing. And my you know my my mom kind of made me do it. She's like, you know, we, we always ski together as a family. I've seen people do this. You're going to do this. Um, and I was falling all over the place. You know, I had a tether. I was very bad at it uh, when I started. Um, so it, it was not, it was not love at first sight for me when it comes to, to mono skiing. So you start, but you were skiing. I mean, you grew up in Indiana, but, but you skied at Winter Park and we're actually, at, an, at a program and for race for running a women's race, I believe when you actually had your accident, right? Yeah, so, all of that is true. I mean, like that's you'd seen people in mono skis, right? Because Winter Park is 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 the mecca in a lot of ways for for disabled skiing. It's true. Yeah, I, I mostly I had seen them carrying their mono skis in and out from the the locker room there, and that didn't look like much fun. I don't know. I, I got to be honest. I didn't see anybody in a mono ski that really impressed me before I got hurt. Somebody that made me think, gosh, that doesn't look so bad. Um, I, I, I don't remember seeing that because I wasn't real inspired to do it. And my first few days, uh, I was less inspired. Was your was your mother often the driving force in things during your childhood? <laughs> I mean, she was the one who uh, thought it was a good idea for me to go to winter park before i got her and and ski race because it sort of it was a dream of mine so um she often let me do things uh or wanted me to do things encouraged me to do things that um maybe she ended up regretting uh, because i think in the end the the sit ski thing was also pretty scary for her as a mother, I would imagine it is an absolutely terrifying experience to see your son strapped into this thing, going down the hill, completely out of control. Uh, when did you, how long did it take for you to feel like you actually kind of knew what you were doing? <laughs> um, 10 years, that, 20 years? Yeah, right. I'm still working on it. Um, no, uh, I would say, you know, probably at least, uh, let's say 15 days, because I came out, we came out my, my first, my freshman year of college. So I got hurt. I went back to Michigan. I, I was in, in school at Michigan State. So I got hurt my senior year of high school. Um, and I was back at Michigan State. And 
we came out as a family to ski at Winter Park that winter. So it would have been the winter, Christmas time, 1995, 96 there. And I went for the first time and I probably skied five, five or six days, which was, which was hard. And I think I'm trying to, I don't know when I would have come back, but sometime in that five, six, 10 day range, I started feeling the ski underneath me. And this is, this was an interesting time in skiing too, because, so I got hurt in 94. Five, and they were just coming out with what they called them parabolic skis back then. And, you know, you can put one on a monoski and boy, I started feeling the ski underneath me in ways that I never did before. And, and you know, I'd get one of those clean arcs here and there when I picked up a little speed and, and um, it sort of took off from there. Were you the ones that you were out for Christmas and then you came back, were you the one who said, yes, I want to do this? Or was this your mother saying, I think it'd be a good idea. Then, then we can all enjoy the mountain together on vacation. The second time you mean, or the first time? Yeah, the second time. The second time. The second time. Yeah, no, I mean, I, after the first time, I was like, all right, all right, I can, I can, I can give this another shot. Um, and uh, after that, I, you remember, well, after that is when I really started to take it seriously. And uh, well, sometime after that, but I graduated from college. Um, is when I started, when I moved out permanently. Um, but yeah, sometime in there, I just started linking those turns together and having a lot of fun, more fun than anything, you know, that I had experienced since my injury. Um, so it was, uh, it was definitely something I wanted to pursue. It's for me, it's often where I forget that I'm sitting down where yeah. I'm skiing, you know, that that's the change because it is that feeling of making a turn. When did you see somebody who was good? Because I actually went to Winter Park after probably like a week or so of skiing or a week of falling, really, you know, mono ski. And I saw Michael Norton ski and I was like, oh, okay, like you can do this. Did you ever see anybody who could ski and go, okay, you can do it? Or, or was it all your own experience? Yeah, I'm actually, I'm going to backtrack because I did, what I distinctly remember is I was in the hospital. So I got hurt in Winter Park. And I was at Craig Hospital. And while I was at Craig Hospital, I went to some event. I do not know what it was, don't remember. But they were honoring some people. And one of them was Sarah Will. And they played some video of Sarah Will skiing in a Super G and a downhill. And I, that was the first time I saw someone that was like, that looks amazing. That looks, that looks scary. That looks like, like she really knows what she's doing. Like you can actually get in a sit ski and, and, and have fun and, and ski really, really well. So you were at Winter Park at, uh, at Michigan State, not necessarily able to ski all that much, I wouldn't imagine. No. When did you decide you wanted to, to pursue it after you know, after school or, or how did that work that you wanted to do the Paralympic thing? Yeah, I, um, I didn't ski much in Michigan. I think I, I've only skied there once in a sit ski anyway. Um, and, you know, we kept coming out in the winters. I came out with my family to Winter Park and I, I would ski a little bit here and there. And then one of my old coaches, Alan Bender, he was a coach for me when I was an able-bodied skier. He started coaching disabled athletes in Winter Park 
And he really encouraged me to do it. And my parents had a condo in Winter Park and I graduated with a philosophy degree and, and thought maybe this is something, I, uh, you know, I had the opportunity to do it. Um, and so I wanted to come out and see, uh, you know, see what it was like and, and, and keep ski racing because uh, I, didn't, I didn't get to keep doing it uh, before, but this was a, a whole nother world. And was it that you were going to go to the Paralympics? Was that your, your goal in coming back or, or was it just to kind of continue or how did you approach it? Yeah, I don't think I had that, the Paralympics as a goal. Um, I just wanted to come out and ski and, and get better at it because I wasn't, I still wasn't very good. Didn't have a lot of days, still couldn't really get on the lift or by myself. And so there were a lot of things I, I still needed to learn and I just wanted to do it. Um, and then, and then, you know, a year into it or so, you know, I, it started looking like the Paralympics was, was an opportunity I might be able to take advantage of and, and, and make that a goal. And so I did. Yeah. Having been a skier before, what did being good actually mean for you? Like putting that time in to actually be good. I mean, it meant a lot more than just getting down the mountain. Um, because yeah, I've said this to other folks. I mean, skiing, I was better at skiing than I was at anything as a 17 year old kid. Um, and it was, it was a pretty high bar. I didn't want to just go out and, you know, get down the mountain. I wanted to go fast. I wanted to have fun. I want to be able to ski bumps. Um, and so, yeah, I wanted, I wanted to go out. I wanted to compete. I, I wanted it to feel like something that I was really good at again. And it, and it did eventually. It took a while, but yeah. How did the conversation go when you told your parents after you graduated from college that you were going to pursue skiing with a philosophy degree? <laughs> you know, they were always supportive. They, they really were. They, uh, they, uh, they supported me when I said I wanted to get a philosophy degree or that that's what I wanted to major in. And they, they supported me when I wanted to, uh, to pursue skiing more. I think it probably started to wane at some point point uh because you know i was I, I crashed in a downhill race and my parents were there and they were like this you, you can't keep doing this you can't but but that was later right I, in the beginning they were always very supportive right they'd already done the hospital thing they didn't want to do the hospital thing again is that what you're saying yeah something something like that yeah yeah now the balance of this was kind of interesting though because you moved out to winter park and you would lead philosophy discussions too, wouldn't you, at the library? <laughs> I did. I did. So I, um, let's see, after my first winter, so I moved out in 99 and I stayed in Winter Park and I applied for a job at the, at the library there in Fraser, which is the, the town right down the road from Winter Park. Um, and at, yeah, well, while I was in that job, I, I initiated this, uh, we call, so it was called Socrates Cafe, which is based on a book that I had read by a guy named Christopher Phillips. Um, and he was sort of, his, his spiel, his sort of movement was based on this idea of bringing philosophy back to the people and, uh, you know, using Socrates as a model. So he was setting these up around the country. I don't know if he still does it or not, or if he's still writing I, I haven't paid too much attention but yeah I used that as a model and I I went to 
my boss at the library and she's like, yeah, you give it a try. So yeah, I started that program at the library and it, yeah, it was really fun actually. It was, it was quite fun. So how did it, how did it work? What were you, were, did you give people reading and, and then lead the discussion? Who, who was it open to? Who showed up? Yeah, it was, there was no reading that, that seemed like maybe a little more investment than people were willing to give. Um, it was simply show up and sometimes I would inquire of people um, if they had some sort of question. That was the idea, right? Socrates went around asking a bunch of questions and, um, or I would pose one. And oftentimes I would come prepared with something, you know, like a big unanswerable philosophical question like, you know, what is freedom or what is free will or, you know, what does it mean for something to be sacred and you know, go off? You know, I would say on average, I got, you know, somewhere between five and 10 people, sometimes maybe a few more. Oftentimes uh, they were retirees who had second homes and were, were decided they wanted to be in Grand County, but it was, it was a variety of folks. There, there was um, some of my friends a little younger at the time, uh, would come and, and, and talk to. Yeah, it was fun. I, and it's funny, I hadn't thought about that for a long, long time. Would you get some people who were there every week? Yeah, well, I didn't do it every week. Um, okay. That was too much. I did it twice a month, if I remember correctly. Okay. And, and how did you ensure that this philosophical discussion stayed amicable? <laughs> uh, I don't know, but it always did. Um, I, you know, it, it was a little bit of a different time too. Um, I don't think people were gunning for a fight, but people people would disagree, and, and but that was always sort of, that was fun, and that was sort of part of it. But I, it never really got off the rails, at least not too far. Well, that's kind of Socratic, though, right? I mean, the whole idea of of kind of like you have a theory and then can I poke some holes in your theory, that kind of thing. And what was, what was your role? In, yeah, I was Socrates. I would just, going. I would just sit there and ask questions um, because that, yeah, that is, that's, that's how Socrates sort of operated. Right. And it's, a, it's, um, it's sort of an easier position to be in and it is disarming, right. For people, which may have also played a role in keeping it amicable um, because if you ask people these questions, they start to think about it and they think they have answers and sometimes they don't, um, or they have to come up with something on the spot. Um, or sometimes they actually rethink, you know, what it is they've proposed. Uh, so I never, I tried at least, I would certainly jump into the discussion. I, of course, like everyone, I have ideas of my own, right? Um, and I, I would I would float those as well, but um, I my, the idea was that my role would be as Socrates, the person asking the questions. Right, and you never really know exactly where he stands. They were taking an ethics class in uh, in business school, and 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 that was kind of the role of the professor was. Well, what about this? What about that? And you're like, is he on the? Is he on this side? Is he on that side? Which side is he on? And and that's kind of kind of your position. How did that balance? work for you as a skier issue you're working in the library you're conducting these discussions and you're pursuing you know a, a a paralympic dream well 
I I liked it. I I was um I really wanted in retrospect, I'm not sure why, but I really did want to work. Uh, and after the ski season, that first ski season, I was like twiddling my thumbs. Um, and I, I remember the position opened up. It was in, I don't want to overstate this. It was a part-time clerk position. So this is a, this is a job where you're, you know, putting, you know, plastic covers on books and, and, uh, and shelving books that or putting books on shelves that I can reach at least. Um, but they, but they let me do this program. It was 20 hours a week. So it wasn't that, you know, it wasn't that intense. Um, although during the ski season, you know, I was skiing every day and I would go and the library was open one, one night a week. Um, so I would work at night sometimes and on the weekends. And, um, I don't know, I really enjoyed it because I, one, I, I also, I love books. I love libraries. Um, and I, I do love philosophy. And so it was a, you know, I, I got to do sort of both the things that I, that I like to do. Um, even if it, it was a little, it was a little tense, but they, they really supported me as well. Um, you know, I, I was able to take time off to go to ski races and, and travel and stuff. Um, and then I, I probably was in the job for a couple of years before um, skiing sort of took over. And then I, I was just available as like a, a substitute. Uh, I would go in when they, if I was available, I'd go in when they needed someone. But um, no, it was a great balance. I, I loved, I loved that job. Well, you were keeping your mind engaged too, which is, I mean, I don't know about you. For me, growing up, it was like school was always the first thing, and then your sport. And granted, you know, sport was the stuff that I that I gravitated toward. And then after graduating. Then it was an opportunity to to pursue the sport part of it, but you sort of worry that that thing between your ears is going to atrophy as mm. you're as you're working on everything else. So mm. you, for you, it seemed like it was an opportunity to keep your mind engaged too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. And in a way that I really enjoyed doing it, and, and with other people. Yeah, for sure. When did the skiing thing take off for you? Well, probably. Yeah. So after 2002, so I was not a member of the U.S. national team going into the Paralympics in 2002, but I was after that season. So it was really sort of going into that 2002-2003 winter um, when, you know, I started going to a, a camps. I, I was on the U.S. team and I would go to camps in Austria, like we went to Hintertux and um, I was going to World Cups, you know, in Europe and things like that. And that's really, that's really when I started looking at, you know, 2006 as my, my real opportunity to sort of grow and, 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 you know, give this ski racing my best shot. And what did, what did that feel like? Because, I mean, it, it sounds like to a certain extent you were, you're pursuing the skiing thing, but then you kind of had one foot in let's call it sort of the academic pursuit kind of thing as well and putting that time in right so you had 2002 then you had another four years till 2006 till Torino from Salt Lake what was that time commitment like were you always looking toward the future as you were skiing or were, were you really just looking at the skiing part yeah I, but that time period I really was focused on skiing I didn't really know much after after that because I was still trying to, yeah, I was aiming to be, you know, one of the top
top sit skiers in the world at that time. Um, and so that was really my focus. I didn't really, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about what things would be like after ski racing. Is that a luxury that you could give yourself that you, that you really just didn't have to worry about whatever was going on next? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, my parents were really supportive. They never, they were never, when I graduated from undergrad, they weren't like, you got to get a job. You got to get a, a place to live. You got to do X, Y, Z. Um, it was a luxury. Well, it's always funny, isn't it? To be able to look back on that time and say, wow, like I pretty much ate, slept, you know, whatever, uh, ski racing. I got up, I went to the mountain, I came back, you know, maybe I went to the gym and trained, came back and did it all over again. And the simplicity of that life, sometimes as we get older, you look back and go, wow, that really made a whole lot of sense. So, <laughs> Well, it's funny too, I, this came up recently. We, um, we had some family visit us in Winter Park and we took them skiing and they're from California, it was my wife's family. And one day it was gorgeous, but the next day it was snowing and cold and, and they didn't, you know, they lasted like one run and, and I was somewhat sympathetic, but then I thought back, you know, I, for most of my life, when I was going skiing, I just went skiing. Like the weather was not a consideration, right? It was just, oh, we're going skiing, we're going skiing, that's what we do. Um, so it's all, it's funny for me to look back. It, it's interesting anyway, because even now, I mean, I don't, you know, now I'm, I'm, it's weather dependent for me. I like to go on nice days. That's always a funny one because I feel like when you retire, you say exactly that, that it'll be all bluebird days when I go out. But I've found myself in a lot of days that are not bluebird days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it seems like that thing that you say, but you don't, you can't really follow through on it. When did, when did you think that you were going to go to law school? How did that plan come together? Yeah, calling it a plan and saying it came together is, is a bit of an exaggeration maybe, but I, so I, you know, I competed in 2006 in Torino and then I competed that following season, 2007. Um, and at the, I'm trying to, sometime during 2007, I met, do you know, do you remember, do you know Jerry Grosswald? He passed away a few years ago, but I don't know if I do. I don't so, know if I did. So Jerry was the CEO of Winter Park Ski Area when I got hurt. Um, and it, he always sort of looked after me because I, I did I got injured at Winter Park. Um, he always was sort of there in the background, um, just checking on me, you know, um, just as a mentor. And I one day I met him in Safeway. I just ran into him in Safeway in Fraser. And we were just talking and um, he'd asked me if I had ever thought of going to law school. And he would deny this. He did deny this when he was alive. But he, he can't deny it anymore. This is, a, this is how I remember. He's like, have you, you know, I was like, well, you know, I'm thinking about maybe going back to school when I'm done skiing and maybe I'm getting close to being done skiing. And he goes, well, have you ever thought of law school? I'm like, no, no, never have. He's like, well, if you're interested, there's a scholarship available for a disabled athlete to go to the University of Denver. It's called the Willie Scheffler Scholarship. It's what Allison Jones went to school on. 
and okay. he um, he said it's going to be available. He's like, I cannot guarantee you'll get the scholarship. I can't get you into law school, but if you're interested, it's something you might think about. So I, this sounded like a, an opportunity. Um, I, I, like I said, I'd never thought about law school, but once someone put it on my plate, I thought, well, sure, I could, I could see if I could do this. And I, um, I signed up for the LSAT, the, entrance, the law school entry, entrance exam. And I started getting my application ready for school. I mean, it literally happened probably the end of 2016, or not 16, 2006, right? So coming into that, that, that winter is probably when I saw Jerry and got everything together. And then I met with um, the, so uh, Willie Scheffler was a friend of Jerry's and, and he was involved in a lot of things, but they established the scholarship, or Willie did. And then Willie's son had been sort of administering it. So I, I met with Jimmy and, um, you know, I, my, I was accepted to law school. And so I got the scholarship and um, that's how that happened. You got in, you had the money to pay for it. So was it, because it sounded like it was more of an undergraduate scholarship as opposed to a graduate scholarship. Is that, is that right? Because it was four years and then a yeah. year study abroad. How much of this did you do? Yeah, well, um, and so I told that to Jerry. I said, you know, I have my undergraduate degree. He's like, well, you're thinking about law school. Um, and so what I did, and, um, you know, the parameters of the scholarship are sort of loose. I would say, um, but in any event, so what I did was I, uh, I decided I could make it four years by doing a couple of different things. I, I could get a dual degree in law and international relations. So I do have a master's in international relations as well. And I also took time off during, during that whole thing to, uh, to go to the Paralympics in 2010. So I, I it's, I did all those things in that four-year period, and I, I never did do the study abroad that was associated with it, but um, uh, yeah. Well, maybe that's still on the table if you, if you decide you want to go study abroad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do, um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. So, so you went to what was what was law school like? Because you'd, I mean, you'd had you'd had some study, you'd had some stimulation with these discussions, but law school is notoriously brutal. Yeah, I was I was not prepared for law school. Um, I did, and I it was about it was at the end of the first semester when I realized this. So it took me some time, but about the end of the first semester, I was like, you know, maybe this isn't for me. Uh, and then maybe by the end of the third semester, I was like, this is definitely not for me. Um, I, I did not like law school at all. Um, I, I hated it. And, but again, so my mother was in the background saying, you've got to go. You've got you've to finish. You've got to get this degree. And I knew, right, practically speaking, I knew, right, not everyone gets a free law degree handed to them. In fact, no one does. Right. So I knew, practically speaking, that this was a really just unbelievable opportunity. So I, I, I followed through with it. But boy, there was there were some times there when I was like, look, I don't want to be a lawyer. I don't like anything about this. Why am I doing this? 
I don't need to be here. Was Jerry checking in on you as you were in school? Yeah, yeah, I had to, I sort of, I had to fib to Jerry. <laughs> but you know, uh, yeah, I had to fib to him a little bit uh, and, and Jimmy, but, um, but anyway. To tell him that you loved it when you really didn't? I didn't tell him I loved it. I just said, you know, I'm getting through, getting through. Uh, I, I didn't, I didn't, <laughs> which I was getting through, but it was, um, it was not, yeah, I, I, I like, you know, I had no idea what to expect. Um, I, like I was mentioning in the, the pre-show here, I, I don't have any, I was the first person in my family to go to law school. I didn't have like a, a, a context for this. Um, that's all a little bit a side point. And I, I, I was never, I don't think I was ever really all that good academically at anything except philosophy. Like I was good at philosophy, which is a pretty narrow thing. Um, uh, so I don't know, maybe I had a little bit, maybe I was a little overconfident going in too, but, um, but I made it through. Well, there has to be some of the critical reasoning from philosophy that translates into the law, I would imagine, right? Yeah, yeah, no, there definitely is. It's, it's very logic and reason based. Um, and so it's a, it's, a, it's a bit of a natural transition. Um, yeah. So, so how, when, did, when did the finishing of law school and the international relations, when did that happen? And, and when did that happen with regard to what you're doing skiing-wise? Well, yeah, I had to think about this recently because um, for a different purpose, but I, so law school is typically three years. I started in 2007. The, the group I came in with graduated in 2010. Um, I, if I, I, and I, it's funny that sometimes I don't, I don't know that I remember for sure, but I'm pretty sure this is how it went. I took, so I went my full first year because, you know, first year of law school is sort of a very regimented thing. Um, so I did my full first year for summer. I, and then I probably, I started taking courses for the international relations that, that summer, that first summer after my first year of law school. And then I did another semester of law school. And then, so that would have been fall of 2008, 2009, I took off of law school. I didn't go to law school and I trained and I, I did the, the pre-event in Vancouver and I, I traveled and, and did some World Cup races and then picked things up again in the summer and the fall and then took off the spring of 2010 again to compete. And then after 2010, did summer, fall, and then spring again and graduated, I think, with both degrees in the spring of 2011, took the bar exam that, that summer. And that, yeah, that's basically that, I think. So, so you'd move from Winter Park down to Denver. I'm that's assuming right. you'd go to school. Yeah. So you were in school. So you weren't really skiing at all as you were going to school because you probably, I mean, you had a fair amount to read. <laughs> yeah, to put it to put it mildly. Yeah, yeah. No, I didn't ski at all. Um, I don't. I don't think I skied at all. And I would have skied a few days, but not very much. In and then you remade the team in order the U.S. team in order to qualify for Vancouver in 2010. Right. Yeah, that would have been right. Yeah. 
Wow. So what was what was that like? I mean, you're you're a full time student with maybe you're not enjoying it that much, but the the promise of a professional career that is separate from the career of being a professional skier, which doesn't necessarily pay that much generally. (laughs) (laughs) So what was it like to go from the promise of like a professional career to go back to go back to skiing to try to qualify for Vancouver when, you know, you 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 really didn't have didn't have much going for you because you didn't have any results for the previous couple of years. Yeah. Well, it was a lot. It was fun, right? It wasn't the only thing I had going, so I didn't wasn't hanging my hat on my my skiing career anymore. It wasn't wasn't the most important thing necessarily for me. So that took some of the pressure off it, and I do remember having quite a bit of fun with it. And it it was fun to you know I felt like I still even without training as much, you know, I had built up sort of a, a reservoir of, of muscle memory from the previous seven or eight years, nine years, whatever it was. Um, and it was fun to just go out and ski and race and, and, and see it. I saw it maybe from a little bit of a different perspective um, that was like, like I keep saying, it was just fun, it was more fun. Was this almost like a little vacation? From your yeah. grown-up life? Yeah, exactly. Yes, definitely. That's that's what it was. You get this grow, and then then you finish the ski year, and then it's like, okay, you are back into into law school. Yeah. Well, I don't think I had anything law school. I can't remember if I had anything that summer. I don't. I think it was probably more the international relations, and they actually had uh, a professor at the uh, the. I can't remember what they, it's the, now it's the Joseph Corbell School of International Studies, and it's actually named after Madeleine Albright's father. Um, anyway, um, they had a, a philosophy sort of section in the international relations, and I enjoyed taking classes with this particular professor. So my first time back or that summer would have been a little bit more leisurely than, than law school, but law school would have been right there. Uh, the next fall, but it was, you know, it was my, it would have been equivalent to my, my final year of law school, which is a little, it's less stringent than the first two. You get, you get to choose some of your courses. Um, it's, it's not quite as intense or quite as painful. You, you've already sort of figured out how this thing goes. I, what they, here's what they say when you're in law school. They say the first year, they scare you to death. The second year, they work you to death. The third year, they they bore you to death. Um, so I was in that third year. So, um, but it, you know, yeah, it was it was actually it was pretty fun because, as you mentioned before, with the the library and, and ski racing. Anyway, I mean, it was, it's fun to do both things for me. Um, so it was fun to go back. Fun to go back and then, but then you, it's coming to an end, right? And and so then it's either you go into ski racing full-time, which I'm assuming you didn't want to do, mm-hmm. or you actually take this degree, you pass the bar and you become a lawyer. How how was that settling in your philosopher's mind? <laughs> well, the skiing really wasn't an option. Um, that, that wasn't something I was really considering. I was really, yeah, it was very difficult because I was now here I was where a lot of 
folks find themselves after their undergrad, like, okay, so what do I do now? Um, and that was, yeah, that was hard. It was difficult. I was, um, because I didn't necessarily want to be uh, a lawyer. Um, I, I liked things like mediation. Mediation was something that I thought uh, would suit me pretty well. I did end up taking a, a course in mediation. I was, I was a certified mediator. Um, but yeah, it's, it was scary because now I delayed it about as long as I could, this idea of becoming an adult that would support myself. Um, and here it was, right? And and here it was, and and what happened? How did you how did you move through? How did you become an adult? I'm assuming you are now. <laughs> uh, I, on paper, on paper at least. Um, I uh, so I graduated, and I actually I did not pass the bar my first time around. Um, so I took it again. I, I missed it the first time literally by two points. Um, and they, they, they do an automatic appeal if you're within five and they look at your score and they see if maybe they missed something, but they didn't. So I, I did in fact fail. Um, and then I, did, I took it again and I passed it the second time. And the whole time, um, you know, sort of on the lookout for jobs um, in the legal profession. And what I did was, friend, mutual friend, Steve Peters, um, you know, he's a lawyer and I've known him. He's been a lawyer in Denver for a long time and I've known him my whole skiing career. I met him for the first time when I moved to Winter Park because he, he was a skier, is a skier. And um, he had started his own firm, uh, Peters Mayor Wilcox. And he's like, look, why don't you just come in and, and you can, you can, I want an office in Winter Park. He was based in Denver. He's like, I want an office in Winter Park. I want to take cases up there. I want you to be the person up there. Um, so uh, he rented an office space, or maybe he had already rented it. But, um, he put me in it. Um, and I would be in Denver sometimes. And it was basically just, I think I said this, but the three partners and then me. Uh, so Steve, two of his partners, and then the little guy, me, the new guy. Um, and they would give me stuff to do. And I would take clients, you know, people walk through the door and Steve would sort of help me um, with this because I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I, I never had clients before. Um, but uh, so it started that way. And then, I mean, I did that for a couple of years uh, before the, uh, this position came up. But, uh, and what were you what what were you working on? Like, what kind of law were you practicing, or were you just sort of practicing law in general? Well, I mean, specifically, so I had clients that would I had criminal criminal cases. So um, it was uh, you know a lot of different stuff, um, domestic violence, uh, drugs, DUIs. Um, I did some civil stuff, like um, some trespassing stuff. Um, I did at least one uh, sort of a divorce case, family law case. So a lot of different stuff. And then if, if the partners had something that they were working on that they needed me to do some research on or something, I would, I would um, 
I would do that kind of thing. So that's just all internal. I didn't, it wasn't based for a client or anything. It was their client that I would, I would um, do some research and, and, you know, they would get clients and bring me into depositions and stuff in Denver and, and different proceedings. And I would go to the courthouse with Steve um, and watch him, uh, you know, in some of the different things that he, he would do. How did you start moving toward the judge part of it? Because what, you were 37 when you became a judge? Is that right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, well, I never really moved towards it. I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, well, it's not like it entered my mind, right? I, 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 it's probably one of those things that like, at some point I was like, gosh, I really like to be a judge, but it's kind of like, uh, there was an episode of Seinfeld when George was unemployed and um, he's going over things he might like to do with Jerry. He's like, I like baseball. Maybe I could be an announcer. And, and Jerry's like, well, yeah, but they usually give those jobs to former ball players, right? <clears throat> so it might be something like that. Like, yeah, sure, I'd love to be a judge, but they usually give those jobs to, you know, attorneys who have practiced for a long time and have quite a bit of knowledge. And, and that kind of thing. But in any event, and my first exposure to it would have been, um, and again, I, yeah, I'm very, um, very malleable, I'm finding out, because I have Jerry, I have my mom, and then Steve. Steve, Steve started pushing me to do all these things. And one of the things he started in the community up in Grand County, one thing um, he pushed me to do that, that um, was, beneficial was to be on the performance commission. So the, um, in Colorado, um, judges are up for retention periodically. And there's a commission that writes a report uh, for the public uh, before an election. And so they, they interview the judge, they, they, they um, send out surveys to people who have appeared in front of the judge, both attorneys and non-attorneys. And um, each county has one of these commissions and they're made up of attorneys and non-attorneys. And every so every four years for county court judge, six years for district court judge, they, um, they interview the judge. And um, there was a position open, they're volunteer positions. Um, and Steve's like, you gotta, you gotta get on that. So I, I was appointed to the performance commission um, would have been 2000, would have been 2014. Um, so I was on the performance commission and there were a couple judges up for retention in the, in the jurisdiction that year. Um, and one of the judges was the county court judge in Grand County at the time. Um, and so I, I was, I took part in the interview and the discussions and all that stuff is confidential. So I can't say anything about it, but then we write the, the commission, the 10 people, I think there's 10 of them, uh, agree on a report to either recommend retention or, or not. Um, and the voters, right, it's just for voters purposes. Um, they can, sometimes they, you know, read it. Most of the time they don't. Sometimes a judge can get a, a, a do not retain recommendation and, and still be retained and vice versa. Um, so anyway, um, that was my first sort of exposure, but that judge, the county court judge in Grand County wasn't retained. 
that fall. So he was on the ballot and he was not retained. And, um, and he had no he, opposition. No, there's no opposition. There's no political parties. It's basically they put your name on the ballot and people say retain or do not retain. That's it. So what happened when he was not retained is that that, that position became open. And Steve and maybe a couple of other people, I don't remember. Steve was like, you have to apply. You need to apply for this position. I'm like, are you what are you saying to this? I'm like, are you kidding? Right? Like I've been an attorney for like two years and there's no way I qualify. And I'm not, yeah, I, I, I did not think I qualified. So um, I thought about it. Steve was adamant. And so, and an interesting thing about Grant County because, well, in an urban area, like the Front Range, you know, Denver area, um, to, to even qualify for a judge, you have to have practiced law for 10 years. In Grand County and some of the other rural jurisdictions, and I imagine this is a historical sort of anomaly, but in Grand County, you don't even need a law degree. I think you need a bachelor's degree, but you do not even need a law degree to be the county judge. Really? Yes. And this is probably from a time when they just didn't have a lot of lawyers or there weren't, you know, they didn't have a lot of access. It's a small county now, but, you know, 50 years ago, um, it was a lot smaller. So yes, you do not even need to have a law degree. Now, there's no, there has not been a judge to hold the county court position without a law degree in at least 30 years. And I don't know, probably going back even further. So it's sort of a, irrelevant, but you, technically, so anyway, I would not have qualified because I had not practiced law for 10 years in most, most places, or at least the, the bigger jurisdictions. But because it was Grand County, it didn't matter how long I practiced law. Um, so yeah, I, I applied. Um, and the, the process is you do an interview, or they interviewed, you know, 10, eight or 10 people. I don't know how many people. And there's an appointment, a judicial appointment committee. So of the interviews, they pick three people. Um, and those three people do an interview with the governor's office. Um, and I got yeah, picked. I was one of the three, um, obviously, right? And then you go meet with the governor. And I mean, in that interview, the, the lieutenant governor is just pounding me. He's like, like, look, you got all these great letters of recommendation here, but he's like, how are you going to do this? Like, what, you, you haven't practiced law. I'm like, you know, I got the law degree. I, I tried to, I, I did the best I could to answer his questions, but then he called me. He called me like two days later and he said, you know, you were our, you were our unanimous pick. Um, you did a great job and um, we think you're going to do a, a, a great job as the judge. So how surprised were you when you got that call? <laughs> I, you know, I was really excited. I was maybe, I, maybe the most excited I can think of because I just thought, wow, um, as, as much cynicism as I had coming out of law school about everything, not just the legal profession, but life in general. And like, here, here, this is, this is, this is huge. I mean, this is an opportunity to do something that I care about, that I believe in something 
that I think I can be good at and something that is going to give me some, you know, stability and some security, some financial security that I haven't ever had. Right. Um, I mean, I've always been, I've never, I've never been, you know, poor or on the streets, but, you know, a, a big thing when you graduate is, you know, where are you going to get the money? How are you going to survive? And boy, I mean, I was 30, right? I was 37 and I still hadn't answered that question completely. And this was a chance to say, look, it's a good job, it's good money. And it, it's something I like, um, which I, I just never, for a while there, I thought was not going to happen. So it was a really, I was just excited. I, I was very excited to get the call. I thought it's, it, once I was one of the three, I was like, eh, I know these other two folks. I, I could, they could reasonably pick me. Um, I think a lot of other people were surprised. Um, I think, I mean, I got a call from the chief judge pretty quick. I got a call from a lot of the judges, but I got a call from the chief judge in the jurisdiction. And I think, you know, some of them were like, boy, we're, we're going to need to help this guy. We're going to need to give this guy a lot of support um, because, uh, you know, it's, it's a hard job. You got to know a lot of stuff and, uh, and it's, it's, it's not easy, but um, it was, yeah, that was, that was a great call. That was a great call. What was the first day on the bench like and what kind of accommodations did <laughs> they have to make for you to actually be on the bench since you're in a wheelchair? You know, the first case, so the, the bench was not accessible, right? So the, right, that's what I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. The, the courthouse was, the courthouse uh, was accessible. You can get in the door, you get up to the second floor. Um, but, you know, the, as you, as you're pointing out, the bench is raised and there's steps to get up there. So the first For good case, reason. You're supposed to be up there as, right. as the voice of authority. <laughs> right, right. Um, so the first case I actually heard, um, I, it was a protection. Uh, actually, I don't remember what it was, but it doesn't matter what it was. It was real quick. And it was just uh, the two attorneys, I think. And I actually, they put out a little table in the, in the well of the courtroom. So the bench was behind me. And I was there. Um, that's the first one I heard in, in the courtroom. And then after that, what they did, there was, so the bench is, is hot up here. It's a little higher, just below the bench, but still above the well of the courtroom is where the clerk sits. Um, and they, they ramped up to where the clerk sits and they put a clerk right next to me. So the clerk is right next to me, which actually was very helpful. I, I called the clerks this. I was like, I wish I had your job for a year before I had this job because the administrative stuff and what they know and their experience was, was really invaluable to me. Um, so I did that. And yeah, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was a circus uh, for the, for the first few months. Um, and then. Uh, what was the reaction from the people who are, who are, you know, <laughs> Who, who are testifying in the court, you know, who are, who are there because, because they've been in trouble. <laughs> you know, I, I, I remember one guy who was in jail and um, I it was probably a bond hearing or something. And they brought him over from the jail and he's got the jumpsuit on. And I, he, I think they, they all knew, right? Everybody knew this, this guy's new, he's young, he's inexperienced. Let's see if we can take advantage of this guy. And I remember this guy, and I don't, I don't remember necessarily what we 
what I did in his case or what, what was said. But I remember as he was leaving, he looked at me and gave me a little smirk and he said, you're going to be a good judge. And I don't know why he said that. I don't remember what I did in his case, but um, it was almost like, like he, he threw something out there and I didn't take the bait, but I just, I don't remember exactly, but he said that. But then they, they did eventually make, uh, well, not eventually, they had a plan to make the bench accessible. I actually went for three weeks to a judge school. I think it was three weeks, maybe more. Judge school in Reno, Nevada. They have, is the National Judicial College. And they have a, a, a three-week program for new judges. And I went there and during that three weeks, they went in and, and put the ramp in and, and made the, uh, the bench accessible. Did you feel way more confident when you came back from this judge school? <laughs> not, not way more confident no no um no it was definitely it, there was a learning curve in those uh, first first year two was uh was really um what it, like drinking from a fire hose um but um yeah so so are you how long has it been and, and how do you feel about your position now? It's been seven years. Um, I'm up for retention this year. I do my interview actually with the Performance Commission in a couple of weeks. Um, I feel, I, I do love the position um, and I do, I still do, you know, philosophically believe in our justice system. Um, I'm a little, maybe I'm a little more cynical about it now. I think there are things that end up in a criminal justice court that need to be dealt with elsewhere. Um, so that- Am I allowed some, to ask the follow-up question of what, what specifically you're talking about? Well, here? Yeah, yeah, well, so there's, there, there's the homelessness, right? Um, people, people who are homeless should not be having criminal charges repeatedly brought against them and they should not be repeatedly brought in the courtroom. That's a social services issue. That's a social safety net issue. Um, and to treat them in the criminal justice system, mental health is similar, right? It's not a criminal justice issue. It's not a criminal issue at all, or it shouldn't be. Um, it's a medical more so, yeah. Yeah, right. So those things are challenging. You know, I think compared to you know, criminal justice systems around the world, we're still doing a pretty darn good job. So I still do believe in it. Um, and I feel like I'm getting better, but there are certainly um, still, certainly some second guessing that still goes on and certainly many things that I need to, uh, to get better at, but I, I feel pretty, pretty good about it. And I hope, I hope I keep the job for a long time. You said second guessing you second guessing yourself do other people know that you're second guessing yourself i don't know if they do or not <laughs> my wife does um i don't know uh some of the other judges that i talk to after i make a decision do um i don't know i don't know <laughs> but they're not saying to you you looked like you were completely in charge and knew what you were talking about and you're like oh, oh. no i've been going back and forth on this oh no people do say that to me actually I said, really? Because you, you seem like you knew what you're doing there. 
Um, yeah, I've had I've had people say that for sure. And now now, so we just appointed a new count. So there are three counties in the jurisdiction I'm in, and I am now the senior county court judge. The other two county judges, one was appointed two years ago, and one was appointed two weeks ago. Um, so they're now looking to me for some guidance at times. Right, right. I know. I know. This is great. The thing that you couldn't have imagined when you first started, but this is the way things go. Yeah, right, right, right. Uh, well, that is that is awesome. I mean, I hope I hope that you are you are retained because it seems like you enjoy it. And I'm sure in knowing you that you are that you're underplaying your your ability. And you're a huge asset to the community. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for saying that. And uh, yeah, I hope you're right. <laughs> Well, I, I, I'm sure I am. And, and hopefully you come around to, to recognizing it too. But anyway, Nick, uh, thanks so much for joining us. This, is, uh, this has been a pleasure. Yeah, great. Thanks so much, Chris. It, it was fun. Good. Well, I hope, I hope the second one isn't quite as difficult, your second podcast. so <laughs> It'll be a philosophy podcast. Exactly. Well, I didn't ask you too many philosophy questions, so I apologize on that one. That. <laughs> it's all right. But, Thanks for joining us and thanks to all of you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed what you saw here. The greatest gift you can give us is to tell your friends, to follow us, to like us. This will be a traditional podcast later on and you can find it wherever you find podcasts. Please tune in. If you didn't get a chance to hear the whole thing, it will also be on the Facebook page, on the One Revolution Facebook page. It's archived there so you can go see the whole thing and you'll see an edited version on the podcast. So please follow us and please like us. And hopefully you will tune in next week where we have another great discussion. Thanks a ton. See you soon.